the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Jesse Gastan. He's the host of Way of Grace, a pastor and a community leader. He's a teacher and an inspiration. He's Lifeline's own Jesse Gastan. Okay, I want to welcome you to another Monday edition of Lifeline. Glad to have you in the house. Trying to get my headphones set here. Um, it's chilly out there, nippy out there. So you and I want to be very careful, very careful about um, <clears throat> being impacted by the weather. Uh, yours truly, Jesse Giston, as you guys heard uh, our announcer put it. Uh, my control partner flying this plane, Joel, in the control room, dealing with the engineering, making sure you can hear me. And uh, and when you call, I can hear you. So here we are for two hours, free to talk, free to engage, free to divulge, free to interact around ideas and concepts, and hopefully um, richly heart-cultivating, mind-cultivating, spiritually cultivating a subject matter that will cause us to be truly edified by the time the program is over. The number is one 367 5329 Had a great weekend. I hope you did as well. Worship was, um, it was good. It was good. I, I, I think about worship frequently post-Sunday coming into Monday when I have an opportunity to be with you guys and I think about how fortunate I am to be able to um, be a central part, not an exclusive part, but a central part of the worship of uh, lots of people. We have a live streaming where hundreds and hundreds of people watch us on Sunday and other days as well. And then we have a very healthy turnout on our, our Sunday services <clears throat> Every week, and uh, and so I have a, an opportunity to to uh, share the word of God with people, and to unpack Scripture, and to basically lead the people of God into a a perspective, a point, a, a place of contemplation uh, of the things that most matter in our life. And right now, we're dealing with the topic uh, of the person and work of the Holy Spirit. The person and work of the Holy Spirit. Huge topic. I'm going to be there for another couple of months because we're dealing with the gifts right now in First Corinthians chapter 12. And uh, and if you have not uh, had your soul um, nurtured by a, a steady and lengthy and deep diet up on uh, the person and work of the Spirit of God, you might want to catch us at uh, Grace Bible grace-bible.com and start from the beginning, although you can, from what I hear, I don't get a chance to listen to the Noonday program much, but from what I hear, we are we have broached upon the, the subject of the Holy Spirit. So you want to get into it because you really do need know, to know the person that was sent to seal you if you are his and to keep you and guide you and to conform you to the image of the Father's Son. 
And uh, just a great topic. Been having great responses, great feedback from people on that study. And I anticipated that. I really, I really did. We had a great weekend this uh, Saturday in our Daughters of Grace uh, program. If you uh, had known about it and you said to yourself, um, I'm going to make it, I'm going to make it, but you didn't. Beyond the typical, you know, uh, procrastination and the typical uh, sort of self-betrayal that we often all collapse into in the area of um, of saying we're going to do something that's good for ourselves, but ultimately don't. You really did miss out on a blessing because we talked about the love of God, the father for his daughters, as we kind of me and Deb talked about this a little bit last Monday, but. God really did bless the message. And I mean, he really did help the message come home to so many women around the issue of the radical nature of of, of redemptive love and how it's supposed to impact us at the level of transformation so that we are not walking around with an attitude or behavior as believers of the love of God being ho-hum. That to, to, uh, to draw that conclusion or to devolve in our life to a level of really not sensing the profound nature of God's love to us in Christ and its impact upon our lives from conversion to where you are now, uh, it, it is a cause for alarm. You and I need to really look and see where we are in terms of what God has done for us in Christ and what he is doing for us by his spirit. You really do. You really do want to do that. You want to make sure that you are able to hear and heed and follow the Father by the Son and through the Spirit of the living God. Make sure you are uh, being a productive believer in Christ. Uh, and, and here we are now at a time of the year. We're in a season of the year where, um, you know, we, we, uh, we, we, we have a lot going on, uh, a whole lot going on. And in a couple of weeks, we will be celebrating Christmas. Now, what I'm going to do today, unless, of course, uh, the, there is some providential shift in the in the program, what I want to do with you today is really I want to challenge you. This is what I want to do, if you don't mind. Uh, let's see. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday it is. Wednesday of next week will be Christmas. And you and I will either be honoring God on that day or dishonoring him. Quite frankly, uh, on a day in which we have chosen to celebrate the birth of our Savior, not his birthday, but the birth of our Savior, uh, we will all either be truly honoring God and honoring his son, or we will have merely engaged in another traditional event that is, you know, European in nature. And, and uh, we really don't necessarily have any kind of biblical basis for what we're doing. And I want to challenge you on that. If you don't mind, if you don't mind me taking today's, uh, you know, program and actually pressing into you on, on this topic to, to make sure that we're walking in integrity. Proverbs eleven three a says the integrity of the upright shall guide them. So let's be guided today. Let's uh, let's face some of the, the questions that often Christians don't want to face when they run up against a Jehovah's Witness 
or they run up against a solidly uh, educated Mormon, or they run up against some of these Hebrew Israelites that don't mind shredding your Bible and taking your Jesus away from you, particularly African-Americans, because you've been so superficial in your approach to Scripture all the years you've been warming that pew. So what I want to do is challenge you. Uh, Are you the kind of person that if an individual walks up to you and say, why do you do what you do? It doesn't matter what that topic is. And you go, well, what's it to you? And they they say in reply, well, you're a Christian, aren't you? You go, yeah. Well, don't don't you Christians supposed to actually do what the Bible says? And you would retort quickly, of course. Well, what is your biblical justification for what you are doing? And you go, that's none of your business. Now, is that really an accurate way to uh, engage an individual who may sincerely want to know the grounds upon which you engage in certain peculiarities or normalities uh, for that matter? Just wanting to know what your Christian convictions are about such things. Well, I guess what I'll do today, and I hope I can get some some dialogue with some of you guys around it. I, I was perusing through uh, my emails, and as I was working on my outline for Sunday, we're going to actually celebrate at church Christmas on the 23rd, uh, 22nd or 23rd. 22nd uh, on Sunday. And uh, so I'm, I got I to gotta frame a message for that. I'm coming out of Revelation chapter 12 this year uh, in, in preaching the uh, the implications of the incarnation. Revelation 12 verses 1 through 17. Imagine that for a Christmas Day sermon. <laughs> but I love doing that stuff. So that, that's right now. That's where the Lord has led me. But Christmas is our topic, and and, and quite frankly, um, I ran across, like I said, a, an article that had been given to me some now, 13, not 13 years ago, seven years ago as I look at it. And when I looked at it, I said, oh, this is the second one. And what I mean by that is this is the second uh, poem that I have received on the topic of the Christmas tree. And this poem is really good. And and then I have another poem that I generally read to you guys every year. Uh, and this poem also is a poem that many people, after they hear me read this poem on the subject of the Christmas tree, um, all, often email me or write me and say, where'd you get that from? Can I have that? Well, what I want you to do today with me, because I want to unpack this by way of dialogue around this topic. Uh, is to take down some notes. If you have the time, I want you to take down some notes because I've got five questions that I want to pose around uh, this topic that we're going to be dealing with. Why Christmas trees? Why do Christians uh, put up Christmas trees? Why do they use that as a form and method of expressing their uh, their their uh, respect and celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ? So here. Here, let me pretend to be a Jehovah Witness. Let me pretend to be a Mormon. Let me be, pretend to be an atheist, an agnostic. Let me just be your kind of cantankerous co- uh, cousin and saying to you, you know, Susie, why do you do this? Uh, John, why are you doing this? What what gives you the grounds to do it? And how does this honor God, this whole array of activities that you guys are engaging in, in terms of celebrating 
the birth of Jesus Christ. Now, don't get me wrong. As I am setting you up for this, please understand. I enjoy that ho- the holiday. I enjoy my family gathering around me. I-, I love every opportunity my grannies can can get into my presence, and so I enjoy the season. I do, however, have a very strong conviction about how uh, the season has completely deteriorated in many ways, in that the subject matter of Jesus Christ becomes so minimal uh, at that time of the year that. People who raise these questions, so why do you put up a tree? Why do you have the lights and why do you have the gifts and all of that under the tree? And why do you go through this tradition and where is it in the Bible? And and uh, how does that how do you justify that scripturally? So I do have five questions that I'm going to be bringing on this particular topic. These two sermons are amazing because one of them, in my opinion, is a sermon, a, a, a poem rather of uh of 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 discernment the first poem is a poem of discernment the second poem is a poem of clarity and what i mean by that here's what i want to share before i go to the break and when i come back i'll i'll read the first poem and i'll have you guys engage when you hear the first poem if you've never heard it before or if you have heard it as i have set it forth and you haven't really uh done what I tell the people who listen to me do expositorily listen where you can actually hear what's being said and, 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 and analyze it and deconstruct it and compartmentalize all of its fundamental uh, arguments. If you do that this time, you, you're going to be challenged, but it's a poem of, of discernment uh, and you, your eyes are going to be opened uh, at some level as to the significance of the poem's objective. And then in the second hour, I'm going to read to you another poem that I'm going to call a poem of clarity, a poem of clarity. They're both talking about the tree, but they're coming from two different vantage points, which in a lot of ways, listen to me, uh, ladies and gentlemen, a lot of ways, this is how the world works with you and I. You will think you are all right in a certain view. And there will be arguments that will justify that view of which you will embrace and accept and you will use as a grounds of defense for yourself. And then you will hear another argument, another perspective that will cast even more light on what you thought was a legitimate premise for which you would practice a certain thing. And guess what you realized? You realize that you didn't know that you were missing something that only came in the poem of enlightenment versus the poem of discernment. And one of the things I do with a lot of the young men that are under me aspiring to ministry and wanting to, you know, have really good resources as to how they go about uh, developing and growing in the Lord. We have a robust men's meeting that I teach every Saturday night, uh, unless we are on vacation as we are now. But in, in, in general, three times at least out of the month, I teach a men's theology class on Saturday night. And one of the things I talk about is the difference between discernment ministries and enlightenment ministries. Discernment ministries are necessary. They are rooted in a kind of apologetic for the gospel But one of the things a discernment ministry does while it exposes the error, it is very frequently neglecting to shed forth the light. 
And one of the things that has happened to a lot of you, and I know you can call and confirm this, is when you grew up in church, you heard a lot of Bible teaching, a lot of Bible scripture, a lot of Bible references. But what you did not know that you never really heard was the gospel. I mean, the real preaching of the person and work of Jesus Christ. And one day you heard somebody set forth the gospel in such crystal clear, uncompromising terms that it was as if you had never heard the gospel before. And there was an epiphany. There was a, a, a manifestation of enlightenment that so jarred you that in some cases you thought you had to be saved all over again. And you may very well have. That's the difference between discernment. And enlightenment. There are some people in the church who are discerning of evil, but not enlightened to the ultimate good and glory of God. I know you hear what I'm saying. So I'm going to take a break. When I come back, I'm going to read the poem. And then I'm going to ask you five questions on this first poem. Then in the second break, second hour, Lord willing, I'll do the second poem. They're both on trees. And we will. Raise the same questions on that one. Okay, so uh, you get a chance to call in and 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 hear the first one and and uh, and and respond to it because this first one almost can always take up the whole two hours. So I'm going to take a break. Uh, the number is one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. If you want to put it down to get ready to go to school, get ready to address an issue that is ubiquitous all over the world, but particularly here in the United States, uh, very much so the mingling of materialism and the master. This is the Monday edition of Lifeline. I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. And we are back. The time five thirty on the Monday edition of Lifeline. Put your seatbelts on. Get your pens out so we can be ready to uh, answer some questions around why we do what we do. Why do we engage in the holidays or why don't we? Why do we go to church on Sunday instead of Saturday? Why do we partake of the Lord's table just once a month and not twice a month or every time we gather together? Why do we do this? Why do we do that? And and, and I think you do understand that as a, a believer, as a Christian, you are obligated are you not to be able to render an answer? And the topic I always get uh, not confronted with, but asked about every year, particularly by new believers. This is fascinating. Newer believers coming up out of the world in secular secularism and materialism and trying to actually establish a much healthier, holistic walk with God often are miffed by what they might perceive on the part of many uh, uh, believers who say they have been in the faith a while is a kind of um, carnal, materialistic Christian, if you will, uh, Christians that have a very uh, difficult uh, uh, life testimony around that, their priorities for God. You guys know that's a challenge. You don't even need to argue with me on that. Uh, the idea of being sold out for Jesus is for a rare few. The idea of prioritizing your life on a substantial and a um, viable level is also a rarity. You don't really see believers with that kind of hypermissional objective. And especially around Christmas. Got an article in front of me. Materialism is easy to decry, but hard to avoid. Materialism is easy to decry, but hard to avoid. So uh, I agree with that. And I think you should, too. Whenever you are in a culture where we have so much at our accessibility, 
Uh, it really does behoove us to ex- examine ourselves as to whether or not how much of it has impacted us. So I'm going to read the first uh, poem that I call the poem of the tree, a poem of discernment. Now I'm going to raise four or five questions and uh, I've got two lines open. One triple eight, three, six, seven, five, three, two, nine, one triple eight, three, six, seven, five, three, two, nine. And then we'll we'll field questions and observations and all of that for this uh, segment on this poem. And in the next hour, I will deal with uh, the second poem on the tree that I call the poem of enlightenment. And poems, as you know, are the kind of prose, uh, syntactically structured uh, um, uh, storylines or um, bodies of language that while the poem is somewhat often, um, how can I put it, uh, eloquent, um, attractive in its expression, it can be like penicillin that's covered over by honey and lemon. And what I mean by that, if the poem rings of truth, and this is where songs become so wonderful, aren't they? That a song is like a poem with a, 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 a underbedding melody of music supporting it. Uh, but that poem can have some very poignant topics, some very poignant subject matter, some very poignant uh, points to make that can be challenging. And if it wasn't a poem, it probably would be offensive. So this is called the poem of discernment around Christmas. Why do Christians... <clears throat> Do the whole thing of Christmas trees and often Santa and red-nosed reindeer and gifts and all that kind of stuff. Why? So here's the poem. <clears throat> Some of you have heard it before, but I want you to hear it again. God, open your ears. Twas the night before Christmas, and strange as it seems, I wasn't indulging in covetous dreams. But reading my Bible, I searched for a clue why Christians take part In this holiday, too, I plainly could see that it carries his name, but the spirit behind it just wasn't the same. The song spoke of wise men, a virgin and child of shepherds of God and all men reconciled. But nothing was said of the blood and the cross of repentance and faith and of counting the cost. They sang of the babe, his miraculous birth but not of the day when he'll judge the whole earth. My Bible said nothing of Santa or toys of Frosty, the snowman and small drummer boys. A reference to Rudolph, not once did I see, but it seems Jeremiah didn't mention a tree. I sat and pondered this curious matter when out of the roof there arose such a clatter. I knew in a moment he soon would be there. So I prayed in the spirit and I stood without fear. He slipped down the chimney quick as a flash and stepped from the fireplace all covered in ash. There stood St. Nick with his bag and his beard. He looked at the Bible I held and he sneered. Another fanatical Christian, I see. No stockings, no holly, no pictures of me. I asked him if Jesus was God in the flesh. He said that was something he couldn't confess. He said, I am Santa. I come from afar. I stood in the truth. The devil you are. That suit and that beard doesn't fool me one bit. Your jolly deception is straight from the pit. 
Beneath all your ho ho holes, Lucifer lurks with all your all seeing eye and your gospel of works. Like a thief in the night, you impersonate Christ, returning to judge the naughty and nice. So called Christmas pagan, he said, That's okay, because that's what my sons at the watchtower say. You'll look like a pagan or like a deceiver, but none will suspect you to be a believer. I said, I don't care what your servants will say. My loyalty lies with the ancient of days. No matter how many abuses are hurled, my Bible says, be not conformed to this world. You have no power and no part of me. So I stand on God's word and command you to flee. He squealed like a pig that was stuck with a knife. He ran to the chimney and climbed for his life. And I heard him exclaim as he drove out of sight, Merry Xmas to all and a long and dark night. Poem number one, and I'd love to hear from those of you who have never heard that poem before. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. Love to hear from those of you who have never heard that poem before. And uh, here are going to be the 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 four five questions I will raise, and then I'm going to take a break, and I'll take your phone calls. The number is one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. With a poem like this one that you just heard, uh, is it beneficial for your discernment? Does it? Does it actually help you to 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 deal with such things as uh, do we need to examine our traditions? Uh, or is it possible that we have slid imperceptibly into paganism as the implications of uh, that, that poem have it? Uh, again, can you can you justify the tree historically, biblically or theologically is another question. How? Do we distinguish between good and bad traditions? And then uh, some of the answers that I put down have to do with, you know, what are the grounds upon which we distinguish traditions that are good or bad? Let me read these five again. I'm going to take a break and then I'll take your phone calls. When it comes to uh, these these kinds of prose, this kind of writing, in fact, this poem here. Was it beneficial to your discernment? Did you learn some things? Did it probe you? Probe you? Did it prod you? Did it drive you to 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 question yourself? If it did, then there's what I meant by discernment. Do we need to examine our traditions? Do we need to examine our traditions, or are we going to be like some people just say, "Don't bother me"? Um, is it possible that we have slid into paganism just because everybody else is doing it and no one is challenging our practices? Fourthly, can you justify the tree? Can you justify the tree? Fifthly, how to distinguish between good and bad traditions? Does the body of Christ, the believer, the family, believing family, the believing single, have the right to do whatever they want to do, call themselves Christian, and nobody call them to accountability on it? All right, two lines open, one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. I'm gonna pay some bills, and when I come back, I'll take your phone calls. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. Don't go anywhere. You wanna be able to give an answer for everything that you do, in as much as it is designed to demonstrate the hope of his calling in you. I'll be right back. 
And now, back to Lifeline. All right, we're back. The uh, time is 644. All the lines are full, and I do want to engage you in uh, some deconstruction of this particular poem and uh, analysis as to how well and how solid you are biblically around whatever you permit yourself to do by way of traditions and practices, especially since you call yourself a Christian. I'm going to start with the uh, with uh, line number four and Monica in Fremont. Monica, are you there? Yes, I am. Are you called? Hi, how are you? Good, good. Okay, I need you to cut your phone, your radio down so I won't have to hear myself. Okay. That's a nightmare. How is that? I say that's a nightmare listening to me. Is is that better or no? Oh, no, that's good. You're good. You ready? Oh, okay. Okay. So let me, first, let me ask you the question. Had you ever heard that poem before? No, I've never heard it before. And so how never. did it how did it make you feel when you heard it? I mean, I want to know the impact of such a eloquent story. You know what? It really it really just it it made me look at the whole Christmas celebration fan of thing uh, you know, totally totally different from how I was I was raised. Mhm. Um I see Santa in, in a, def, a different light. I right. mean, traditionally, I, my family, we didn't um, hold up, you know, the the jolly Santa with the beard, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, um, we were aware of where the presents were coming from as a kid, uh-huh. and uh, and we had appreciation and thankfulness. I mean, we did. We did become people that felt like, you know, it was time to give and, and share and, and, and these type of things. Right. But um, as an adult now myself, um, that that poem just kind of sealed it for me, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I think that, you know, it definitely gives uh, Santa, the figure, right. <laughs> Santa, uh, too much praise. Yep. Uh, you know, even if it were not giving uh, thanks to your parents for working hard and, and purchasing something for you. You know what I mean? I do. Uh, it's, it's just it's just putting Santa as this almighty person that we waited for all year to come and shower us. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think I want to have a copy of that and share it, you mm-hmm. know, um, because I know the kids today, they... They're very confused about it. All they know is, you know, give me a gift. Yep. But I, I think it would help them to appreciate um, Christ uh, and, and, and have an appreciation for for his dying for us, you know, um, the whole redemption. Yep, yep. And I just think we need to, uh, you know, sit kids down and, and kind of explain this to them, and I think that poem would be a good it would be an excellent tool in that regard. So if you want to, you can um, you can uh, call the office. I think they have it available to, to, to send to you. Or you can email me, um, gbchayward at gmail.com, gbchayward at gmail.com, and I can send it over to you. And I would encourage you to be able to explain and distinguish between the valid elements of the tradition that we hold in terms of our Savior's uh, birth and all of the materialism that has morphed over the hundreds and thousands of years that has shifted away 
from the centrality of Christ and the re- real redemption story to all of this materialism. And this poem has struck people with that time and time again. There are some positives and negatives inherent in this poem that I'm going to unpack over the rest of the program. So I'm going to let you go. Thanks for your call, Monica. And I'm going to take our next caller. Listen to the next poem, though. You want to listen to poem number two because it's going to actually um, come from another angle. So bless you. Let me go to line number three and talk with Lisa and San Jose. Line number three. Lisa, are you there? Yes, Pastor, I'm here. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Excellent. Did you hear our poem? Yes, Pastor, I did. Had you heard it before? No, okay. no, I had not. Okay, so tell me how you felt about it when you heard it. So that poem, I've actually reflected upon it upon during the year. Mm-hmm. And I reflected upon um, certain hymns uh, or um, lyrics in our Christmas carol. Yeah. And yeah. the first and the Bible scripture. Sure. So just two things that come to mind. First of all, the Bible scripture mm-hmm. that says that every knee shall bend. Mm-hmm. Whether it be Judaism, whether it be Islamicism mm-hmm. or Muslim, whether it be Santa Claus, whether it be the Easter Bunny, every knee shall bend. Mm-hmm. And God, it will be represented, Christ will be represented through and through. And there should be no fear in that at all. And then the second thing that comes to mind is the the lyric, um, Heaven and nature will sing. Christians and the trees and the flowers and the animals, all of nature will sing to his name on that special night. And that should not ever go away either. Those are the only two things that I feel that are most important that relate to to um, the poem that you read. We, I will not stand there and point my finger at Santa because in, his, in that realm, it is the earthly realm, but that knee shall also bend to the Almighty God. Okay. And that's all. And that's all. Yeah, thank you. God bless you. Have, a great, have a great new year, too. Uh, that's a good Merry pers- Christmas. Yeah, you too. God. You too. Merry Christmas to you. Listen, let me I, let me see here. Do I need to have a break or am I good to go to six? All right, okay. I've got two lines open, you guys. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. Lisa is one who um, doesn't you know does not have that that inclination to. Uh, to call Santa what it is, what she's using is a basic eschatological device. Uh, if you guys don't know what that is, and that's basically to say uh, God will correct it all in the end. That's that's a that's a way to go. Would you agree? However, also the Bible says that we are to uh, we are to expose the unfruitful works of darkness for the good of people. Now we don't want to wait till. Jesus come for for uh, Santa to bow the knee to the revelation of scripture that exposes him for being the lie that he is. So, see, we want to be very careful not only to wait for Jesus to come, but he's telling us to be truth conveyors today that we are to uh, make sure that uh, whatsoever is is uh, is not of truth is to be exposed. Prove all things and hold fast to that which is good. I've got three lines open. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. If you're trying to call in and chime in on our topic, one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. We've got a good eight minutes 
before we move into poem number two. And I'd love to hear what your thoughts are about this. I know that it's a challenging subject because sometimes people just don't really want to ask the question within their own lives as to why they do what they do. But a believer has to be aware of their choices and be aware of their actions for the good of others. Like Monica. Monica said she wants to make sure her kids get it and not simply collapse into a kind of materialism that says just because mama's doing it, daddy's doing it, it's okay. So we have one sister who said this will revolutionize my approach to Santa because she saw Santa as actually an operative of the evil one. And he is because he's the one bringing gifts. Now, if we don't expose him for being the one bringing gifts as diabolically antichrist, then we're not really doing our jobs as Christians. Let me go to line one and talk with uh, with Mark on line number one. Let me do line number one before uh, we take our next call. So, Mark, are you there? I am. So I know you yeah, called before yeah. we even opened up our, our topic, and so you probably got something else you want to talk about. But I want to ask you before you, before you uh, uh, make your point, uh, how were you and where were you with the Christmas tree all the years of your life? You're not... Uh, you're not uh, a brand new baby. You have been uh, around for a long time in this world. How were you and where are you with, 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 with Christmas? Uh, well, Spurgeon said that he stu- studiously avoided the day, and the Christmas tree has nothing to do with Christmas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what Spurgeon said. Did, did you follow that yeah. sentiment? I do. Okay. So what do you do in the stead thereof? Well, we have a tree. I'm just not for it. (laughs) I love it. I know a lot of men like you. All right. So I'm going to give you a minute. What were you going to call about initially? Okay. Because I I got other callers on the line too. Well, initially what I'm calling about is, uh, let me ask you this. Was uh, Peter sowing discord among brethren when he said to Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? No, but that doesn't mean that you and I can't. So, you know, you know, you know you, now you know, now you know, you can't use this program as the premise and launching pad for some other issue. You can't do that. So if I was to just speak to you exegetically about Acts chapter 5, I would tell you that in Acts chapter 5, the spirit of discernment was operating in Peter and this the, the word of knowledge was taking place as well, where he explicitly, by the spirit of God, exposed the heart of Ananias and Sapphira, which is something no man can do. That's the work of the spirit. And he condemned them for being hypocrites uh, and anti-Christians. And he was the vehicle by which they were summarily judged right there on the spot, not a day later, not a week later, after apostolic authority was able to bind and loose and uh, those two were bound and killed and destroyed because they were uh infiltrating the church to corrupt it uh by 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 lies and what we would call today simony or greed for money which is really uh second uh, in a secondary way around our topic and that is materialism because i think there would be a lot of people that would fall into the category of ananias and sapphira today i've said it often I am so glad that I didn't live in the first century with the apostles because I may have been condemned as being a radically unworthy hypocrite 
as well. But we still do need the gift of discernment to be able to discern uh, men and women who are surreptitiously entering into the church with a damnable heresy. I'll give you the last word before I let you go. Well, uh, Jeff Landis and you. Uh-uh, uh-uh, see? Uh-uh, 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 Mark, 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 you're going to be biblical. You can't do that. This is an airwave for public discourse. This is not an airwave for me to talk to people about your personal problems. I can't. I wouldn't do that. And you can't do that. So I'll see would you tomorrow. Would you marry two homosexuals? I, I, I will. I wouldn't. I would never. By the grace of God, I would never do that. But I can't comment on somebody else who does. And you can't. And we can't. We can't have that conversation right now. At least not right now. All right. I got to let you. I got to let you go. Mark. Let me go to line number two and talk with Kelvin in, Red, in Redwood and Redmond. Yes. Huh? Belmont. Yeah, you got this seven inch font here. <laughs> Kelvin, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. What's up, Pastor? Hey, Jimmy? what's happening, man? It's good to hear from you. Talk to me. Yeah, listen, I, I mean, I understand the poem. The poem is very it's spot on. Uh, but I just think that during the Christmas season, we have to have the courage to talk about the truth of Christ and what it means to us. And the world can be as blind as they are, but, you know, when, if, if you're buying gifts, then talk about the gift of Christ. Talk about the gift of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, if we're mature enough that we don't have to allow the world and all of its angst to get inside of us and to make us to start accepting things that are not true, whether it be Santa Claus, the Easter Bunny, or anything else, I think it gives us an opportunity to witness about who Jesus really is. And so um, if you're mature enough and you hear people talking about Santa, you can ask them the question, what is Santa all about? Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. And but, I'm a Christian, and I can tell you what Christ is all about. Amen. So let me ask you, because I, you know, I, I got your stance fully, and you you know me. You've been around for a minute. You know where I stand. Um, uh, do you celebrate Christmas in any of the traditional ways in which it's done? Yes, I do. Okay, yes, so do. so 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 were you in? Were you aware of my opening monologue before I did the poem? Did you hear? No, it? no I had never heard that. I had never heard it. Okay, so oh, no, you didn't hear the you didn't hear the poem. But I mean, did you hear my no, opening? I heard, I heard, no, no, I heard the poem. I just didn't hear your monologue. I heard bits and pieces of it. Yeah, about. Uh, yeah, I didn't hear the opening monologue. Well, what, tell me, what was it? Uh, just oh, right, because the gist of it has to do, Kelvin, with making sure that when we are doing anything, that we have a solid biblical basis for doing it or not doing it. It doesn't matter what it is. Uh, we right. sh- we should have a biblical basis for every choice and decision that we make. And when people call us on it, if we're not able to give an answer, why do you have a Christmas tree? Uh, why right. do you put up lights? Why do you buy toys? Why do you follow a fundamental model that looks exactly like the secular world, but the secular world, you know, doesn't have Jesus in it any way whatsoever? If the Christian doesn't have the ability to answer that in a lot of ways, the the points that you were making, which were points I fully agree with, um, completely are countermanded. Uh, by their not being ready to give an answer for what they do, let alone for what they do not do. Uh, because the secular world has the right. This area is where I might disagree with you a little bit. I don't think you said it, but here's what I'm going to say. Christians are not private sole proprietors where they can go around doing what they want to and no one holds them accountable 
for their claim of being a Christian. Every Christian, right. every Christian is accountable to the secular world, to the sacred world, to the believing world for what we do. This is how we have the conversation. This is how we engage the loss. This is how the loss comes to find out, like you had said earlier, why we do what we do and why we don't do what we don't do. We have no right to kind of retreat behind, you know, a privacy act. This is is what I want to do. This is how I do it. And uh, it's none of your business. Well, quite frankly, that's not true. All of us as the body of Christ are obligated to give a solid biblical basis for why we do what we do. You would agree with that, wouldn't you? A hundred percent. That's why you have to be learned from the Word of God. I agree. So that when someone asks you something, you can give a strong answer from the Word, not based off feelings, right? not based off emotion, based right. off of what God has said. And then once you do that, then, you know, if, if someone wants to fight you or debate you over, it's like, I'm not debating nah, what God said. No, nah, exactly. Said, what he means, what he means. And if you don't agree with it, it's just like, I don't agree with Santa Claus. Right. But I'm not going to go out there and beat him up. No, no. I can talk about just as well as they can talk about Santa Claus. 100%. And yet we do have to expose Santa Claus for being the substitute Ooh. Jesus that he is. See, that was the thing I would disagree with my dear sister Lisa on. See, so you and I have to know that. As Paul said in Ephesians 5 and then 1 Thessalonians 5 as well, that we are to reprove the unfruitful works of darkness. Why does Santa get more prop today than Jesus when this whole thing initially ostensibly started with the birth of the babe? Well, we're supposed to whenever whenever Satan rises up and takes dominion, our job is not to say one day his knee going to bow. No, our job is to say, see that guy in the red suit? He's a liar and the truth is not in him. Right. And, and the and the thing is the materialism that's attached to it completely it's so worldly. You got Christians going broke trying to buy presents, and then talk about I can't tithe in church. And this and is like, why. And this is you why. I, f- I fully agree with you, and this is why I say the topic is important, but it hurts people because people don't want to have to unravel the sweater completely because if they unravel the sweater completely, then some of us are naked. Listen, man, I got to take a break. Thanks for the – it's always good to hear from you, brother. I'm glad you're still alive on top top side of this soil and doing, and doing God's work. Bless you, man. I'm going to take my last call, Chase, in Oakland, and then we'll take a break. Uh, on line number three, Chase, are you there on line number – three chase yes i am how's it going pastor i'm great man we only got a couple of minutes what's your thoughts about okay. our topic um yeah i've heard a lot about you know that kind of thing recently with um you know the whole paganism and the holidays and how they're like intertwined into like thanksgiving and like easter you know so on and so forth mm-hmm. uh, my question was primarily for like a clarification mm-hmm. kind of thing sure i know that it it mentioned the all-seeing eye in right. the last poem that you said. Yes. And I just wanted to, like, get more info on that. Like, I hear a lot about it in the media. Mm-hmm. Um, I see it, you know, like, in little, like, videos that people have put up. Like, and this you know, is, and, and so, so you, you Chase, you're going to hold, hold on. I'm going to take a break, and I'm going to come back with you, because what you okay. are actually entering into is the hyper-symbology uh, of the satanic right. system that basically sure. is designed to actually, you know, as a vortex, suck the whole world into the Babylonian system, of which oh. this one slice of it that we're dealing with plays a right. major major role. It's called materialism 
baptism when what a believer is supposed to be is transcendently spiritual so that while we live in a secular world, we are not defined by materialism. And that poem did expose that element. You caught that. Uh, uh, kudos to you. Hold on. I'll be Thank right you. back after a, after a break and we'll touch on that, too. The Monday edition of Lifeline. We are dealing with discernment and then we're going to deal with enlightenment. I've got three lines open. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. If you guys want to keep cultivating, keep doing expository listening. As long as your soul can handle it, then we can nurture and we can grow. But what we never can do is hide behind a rock and just hope Jesus fixes it because he left us here to say some things and do some things about it. Going to pay some bills and then uh, we're going to look right back at this tradition and see if we can make it stand or uh, put a bulldozer on it. I'll be right back. 